sermon lesson for today is based out of the book of James. And we begin in chapter 3, verse 1. James begins, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? or a grapevine bear figs. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of our God. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. These are a couple of childhood sayings that I believe we've all grown up with. And what they try to allude to is that words don't have any power over us. Words cannot affect us. But I tell you, you know, this is not true. Words indeed can hurt. Words are powerful and they can hurt and leave a lasting impact. As you were growing up, did, you, did someone ever call you a name? Something meant to tease you, meant to hurt you? Has a loved one ever lied to you? Uh, you know, someone you love and who's supposed to love you back? When I was a kid, my family, like many families in Southern California, enjoyed going to the beach. And we would go every summer as often as we could with my father, and my sister and I really enjoyed going out into the waves and surfing. And uh, when, I was in about, when I was about 12 years old, uh, I was in a very bad surfing accident. Uh, my sister and I were paddling out over the waves, and her board slipped from her hand. It flew up into the air, came crashing down around the back of my head, and it cut through both skin and muscle, exposed bone. Uh, and I go to the hospital, and a few hours later, I had six staples placed in the back of my head. And I have a scar that's still there to this day. But uh, I don't really remember how much it hurt. I know that it hurt, and I have the scar. But what I do remember specifically is as I was coming in, I see the lifeguard, and I finally go to my father. And I go to my father and I show him what's happened to me. And rather than comforting me, rather than telling me that things are going to be okay, that he loves me, that I'm going to be taken care of, my father's exact words were, thanks for ruining my day at the beach. And that hurt. And that stuck with me for a long time. Uh, just a few years ago, my father finally apologized to me. So if you're doing the math in your head, I'm about 26 years old. At that time, I was 12. A few years ago, I was 23. So it took him 11 years to apologize, and I forgave him. Um, but I still remember exactly what it felt like. Words can hurt, 
And there's no taking them back once they've been said. Today's sermon text is about words. It's going to be a difficult book to hear, but these words are from Scripture. These words are from our Heavenly Father, and God's word is always good. See, James was the half-brother of Jesus and was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And James had a difficult path set out for him because the church in Jerusalem was under heavy persecution. And there was a temptation that arose from that. His Christians, his flock, were uh, being tempted to speak in ways that aren't Christian. They were being tempted to hide their faith. And they were blending into the crowd. And it was uh, in the words that they'd say or do not say. And we face the same temptation today. The temptation to hide your faith by not opening your mouth for fear of not fitting in, not wanting to potentially offend someone, for fear of not being liked. Even today we face this temptation because though we have been cleansed in the waters of baptism, though Jesus calls us forgiven, though we have received everything, we desire things that still are not God. There's a war raging within us, a self-war. That's where, we, um, that's where we've got this sermon series from. And this war is between speaking praises and curses, saying kind things, cutting things, sharing your faith, and starting arguments. In his book, James details how a Christian must fight that war of words, what a Christian's war, words should be, what Christian faithfulness looks like with perfect faith, and how real faith produces real works and words that reflect real love. James chapter 3 begins, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. See, teachers have a greater responsibility because when they speak to their students, their words have a lasting impact. And many of you sitting in the audience might be like, great, I'm not a teacher. You know, yay me, right? Uh, but I tell you that you probably fulfilled the role of teacher in your day-to-day life without even thinking about it. As a parent, as a leader at work, as a mentor, or even as a friend, I think we may have all heard the phrase, you might be the only Bible someone ever reads. Meaning that as you go throughout your life, you're an example of what a Christian is, and you are speaking Jesus, and you might be the only time that person ever encounters the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, Jesus says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Though we will not all be pastors or teachers or missionaries, We are all called to witness the gospel within our relationships and through them teach about God's love. Therefore, the words we use are important. And as disciples of Christ, we will be judged more heavily on the words we use. We read in verse 3, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. If you're following along in your sermon guide, the first point is this. Our words direct our lives. In the first illustration, our tongues are likened to the bits in the mouths of horses. For those of you like myself who don't know what a bit is, It's a small metal tool placed into a horse's mouth and used to control them. It's attached to the reins, and you can control the horse left or right, tell them to speed up or slow down. 
And I don't think anyone would disagree that the bit is infinitely useful for the rider because they allow you to control the horse past any obstacles, low-hanging tree branches, holes, and get to where you want to go. Because bits are created for the purpose of controlling large animals and give us sufficient power to convince them to listen. But the improper use of bits can break a horse's nose or even jaw. See, when used improperly, though small, a bit can have caused great harm. And if the, rider, if the rider isn't experienced enough, he could hurt the horse, lead them directly into an obstacle, a hole, a tree, you name it. Similarly, the rudder on the ship is small compared to the entire ship. But it controls the direction of the entire ship. Prior to modern technology, the pilot of a ship would have to sit in front of charts, latitudes, longitudes, winds, and currents, and figure out just precisely where he wanted the ship to go, the perfect position for the helm and the rudder, because even the smallest miscalculation could take the entirety of the ship way off course. Our words direct our lives and the lives of others. Similar to both the bit and the rudder, our words, our tongues, have power over where we go and where the people around us go. Consider four examples from history how seemingly small words have a huge impact. See, Karl Marx, he was a German philosopher and social revolutionist. He wrote dozens of books, but the one he's probably most well known for was 28 pages long. It was a pamphlet that passed out. It was known as the Communist Manifesto. So this small booklet of words caused social revolution around uh, Eastern Europe and still has a lasting impact on national policies today. Um, that's where we get communists from. That's what they believe in. Ultimately, if you know about the Soviet Union, it was, uh, it was responsible for the deaths of millions of people. Similarly, Adolf Hitler is someone that we have all heard of a politician who gained power through use of his words, but who used it for the wrong reasons, used it for his own personal gains and what he wanted to do. And he was ultimately responsible for the deaths of 17 million people just through his words. But consider the powerful impact of positive words. A monk by the name of Martin Luther, who 500 years ago posted 95 theses on a church door changed the way that people viewed salvation and is ultimately the reason that we're all sitting in this church here today. Or consider Rosa Parks, who by simply saying no, inspired a social revolution in the United States that has a long-lasting impact even until today. Though you might not change the course of history with the words that you speak, your words do have an impact. Because we both, we know what it's like to lie. We know what it's like to hurt other people. I've, I've done it. But we also know what it's like to be Martin Luther or Rosa Parks, to hold God in our heart and to take that out into the world and make a positive impact with God. You know the impact that your words have when you tell someone who wronged you that you forgive them because you have been forgiven first.
and that you love them because you have been loved first. Secondly, our words have the power to destroy. We continue in verse 5. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. See, what is being illustrated for us is that the words we use can be dangerous. A rumor, a lie, a word meant to hurt someone else is just as dangerous as a wildfire. Just as dangerous as poison. Gossip spreads like wildfire. One little rumor can get out of control. One seemingly harmless white lie can become a web of lies. Speaking negatively about yourself or someone else can sicken your self-worth, your self-image, or destroy it completely. Just as a spark can start a blaze or a drop of venom can sicken an entire body, one careless word or phrase can destroy and bring about serious harm. In 2017 in California, nearly 9,000 wildfires tore through, burning 1.2 million acres of land, an area the size of Delaware, destroying more than 10,800 structures and killing at least 46 people, causing damages estimated in the hundreds of billions of dollars. So what makes wildfires dangerous? Isn't entries. We use it to heat our house, cook our food, give us light to see by. What makes wildfires dangerous is how quickly they spread and how quickly they get out of control. And see, words are the same way. One little rumor can quickly get out of control, can quickly cause serious harm. Speaking negatively, bad news travels fast. Our words travel fast, rumors travel fast. And it's been my experience when I've passed along rumors or told a lie that it always comes back to burn me or someone I care about. James also describes our tongues as full of deadly poison, venom that can weaken and kill a body. Have you ever heard of a self-fulfilling prophecy? It's a prophecy that because you believe it becomes true, because you've told yourself that you can't do it, you don't even try. And we do this not only to ourselves, but to others. Have you ever been told that you're not good enough, that you can't do it? Also consider, if you saw a snake, right, because we're, we're going to venom. If you saw a snake, would you hold out your arm and let it bite you? Or if you saw, if you cut into a piece of chicken and it was medium rare, would you still eat it? Probably not, but at the same time, as we go through our day-to-day -day lives, Turn on the radio, turn on the TV. Go on to your social media account, look at the articles you're reading, look at the posts from your friends, and it's poison. As you read those things, the words of anger, negative words, you're poisoning yourself, willingly poisoning yourself. Positive words, however, words of love, words of forgiveness, words that reveal the truth, heal our sick hearts. And that's what God's word does for you. The good news heals you. It provides forgiveness. It provides truth. When you come to communion, when you read it on your own, something very powerful happens. God's word heals us. 
it heals the poison of sin so that in our veins, that is in our veins and fills our words instead with purity, goodness, mercy, hope, and confidence. Finally, our words define us. We continue in verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of this letter in some praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. See, the words that we use tell the world who we are. They define us. I imagine as you go throughout your life and you travel in the United States, one thing would probably become incredibly apparent, and that's that people speak differently depending on where you are. You see, if you go to the Midwest, which just happens to be where my wife Amy is from, they say certain words just a little bit differently. In California, where I'm from, you go to the grocery store and you get a grocery bag to put your groceries in. In South Dakota, where Amy's from, it's a grocery bag. And I used to tease it. I still do. Uh, and it's funny. It's cute to me. But as you go out throughout your life, you'll find that, or throughout the United States, you'll find that people have different accents. And you can tell where they are from because of their accent. Someone who has a southern accent, a Texas accent, speaks like they're from Texas. Similarly, someone from down in uh, Georgia, you can tell that they're from the South, just be based on that. Someone who's Eastern European, you can tell that they're Eastern European. And see, James was dealing with something really similar in Jerusalem because he had a group of Christians who were saying that they were Christian, but their accent sounded like they were born in the world. I do have a video for you this morning. In the following video, you'll see two friends that are at odds at one another. And the one friend realizes through words that the other is lost to him. You have allowed this dark lord to twist your mind until now until now you have become the very thing you swore to destroy. Don't lecture me, Obi-Wan. I see through the lies of the Jedi. I do not fear the dark side as you do. And secure, I have brought peace, freedom, justice, and security to my new empire. Your new empire? Don't make me kill you. Anakin, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. I will do what I must. You will try. So... The, uh, the concept of a self-war, I don't think, is portrayed any better than in Anakin Skywalker. And I'm, I hope I'm not ruining this for anyone, but Anakin Skywalker goes on to become Darth Vader, to be redefined as Darth Vader. And you see that here, the transition through his words, 
where Obi-Wan says, only a Sith deals in absolutes, he realized at that moment that Anakin was gone, that his friend was gone. Like Anakin, we are at odds within ourselves. There's a war that rages in our hearts between good and evil, between our sinful nature and the new life created in us, with words of praise and words of cursing. And when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, he said, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Evil people say evil things, and good people say good things. Fig trees bear figs, and grapevines bear grapes. But don't we do both? There is a war inside of us, a self-war, struggle between God's new creation and our sinful nature, a war between good and evil, and it's a war that we could never have won. Let's go back in James to verse 2, where James, admit, James admits that we all stumble in many ways. But thankfully, we do have one who never stumbled, never was at fault, and everything he said was perfect. His name is Jesus, and he fought on the battlefront of our tongue for us. You and I no longer have to battle with our words. Instead, we can turn to God's word and see the powerful effect that his word has on our lives. God's word is powerful. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God's word created the universe. God's word defined existence itself. And shortly after the fall into sin, God made a promise that one day he would send one to defeat sin, death, and the devil. God's word became fully human in Jesus Christ and did just that. God's word is powerful. God's promises are powerful and are true. Going back to the analogy of a ship, if your words are the rudder and you are the pilot, God's word is a map. It's a map for you in books like James where it tells you how you should live your life. But more importantly than that, God's word is a map that points you to the way, the truth, and the life that is Jesus Christ. But more than just give you a map, God does something even better for you and for me. God sends his Holy Spirit to us every time we hear the word, and God is the wind in our sails. What God does for us is he allows us to move throughout our lives in a way that's pleasing to him because he's the one who's in control. God's word also makes new. Just like a wildfire, a controlled burn, something that's good for the forest, or medicine, God heals you, and through his fire, he takes away all the idols, all the weeds in your heart, and makes room for something new, and he plants faith there. He destroys your sin, 
and creates faith in its place. God's word makes you new and heals your heart. Finally, God's word forgives. That faith that he places in us is now what defines you. No, matter, no longer are you defined as a sinner before God, but instead you are defined as holy and righteous for the sake of Jesus Christ. God's word is powerful, powerful enough to forgive every sin every time we have steered away from his plan for us. Every time we have placed something before him in every misspoken word, God's word is powerful and our words are changed because of it. God's word made flesh, Jesus Christ, has won the victory while the war of the word while the war, be, war being waged inside of me is evident in the bad, wrong, and evil things that I say. The victory of the word incarnate covers everything in his blood and purifies my words and makes them holy and pleasing to him. And I thought that that's where I wanted to end the sermon today. I thought that the main takeaway from today should be that God's word changes your words to be pleasing to him. And that is true. But what I do want to leave you with, what I want the key takeaway from today to be for you, is that God is going to say three, a few words that are going to change everything. And you'll hear them with your own ears. You see, we're going to have to give an account of every wrong word we have ever spoken on the day of judgment as we saw in Matthew. Every word, every sin is going to be brought before God. And after every word and every sin, Jesus is going to say something. Say something that is so beautiful and so powerful. He's going to say, I forgive you. He's going to say that he died for that, that it is finished, that you are mine. And then all we can reply with is thank you, Jesus. Amen.